Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. <laughs> Hello everyone, I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. And welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. Uh, yeah, we're really glad we could be back here with you. We're going we're gonna to share some modern folklore this time around. And we've got some good stories picked out. Isn't that right, Lindsay? We certainly do. Yeah. But first of all, we wanted to kind of give an announcement. Oh, yeah. We have a merch shop. Yes, finally. It's, fin- it's finally up <laughs> and it looks so cool. There's really some cool stuff on there. The t-shirts are sweet. I'm, I'm really partial to the beach towel. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of random, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, basically, we did it with the site threadless.com. So the address for the site is just folkloreontherocks.threadless.com. And the sizing is normal threadless sizing. So if you've bought stuff from them before, you'll kind of have a decent idea of what they have. Um, But there's also a sizing chart right on our shop and everything. Basically, we have three different designs on there. Uh, We have our, our main normal logo, but without the black and red grungy background. It's just the logo itself. We have our logo, but with blood splatter on it instead of black grunge. And then we have um, our normal logo, but with black and red grunge behind it so that it kind of can stand out on lighter colors. So the first two are available on like blacks, dark grays, and reds. And the last one is on whites and light grays. Something for everybody. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It'll kind of give you a variety. You can pick one that you like. If something is there that you want, just let me know and I'll see what I can do. (laughs) But as for like actual merch stuff, we have shirts, we have tanks, sweatshirts, hoodies, mugs, water bottles, phone cases. And those are just iPhones and Galaxies, but it's a bunch of versions of those. Um, We have some bags uh, like drawstring draw ones or beach bags. And then we've got some notebooks and some, like Logan said, beach towels. Yeah, it's really cool that they can put all that together. And uh, yeah, it's really neat. Yeah, hopefully it works out fine. If you guys encounter problems, please let me know. But as of now, it's officially launched, um, which we're really excited about because it's been, you know, a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, we've been promising it a little bit, a little while, and it's taken yeah. us a second to get our, our kind of our things together here, but we're getting there. Our, our, For sure. <laughs> <laughs> and with that being said, we um, we also have discounts to the shop for our patrons on Patreon. So if you become a patron, a few of those tiers have a discount to that shop. So if you're interested, you know, maybe check out our Patreon site too and see if that can get you a little bit of a discount. Yeah, yeah, we are always it's looking. It's totally up to you. Yeah, we're, all, <laughs> we're always looking for ways to say thank you to our patrons. Uh, really, it's something that we really appreciate. It's such a cool thing to do to find something to really want to support. And uh, mm-hmm. I know that it's it, maybe not everyone wants to or maybe not everyone can, but those that do, we really appreciate it. Absolutely. We really, really do. And so check that out. Uh, and then I think we, now that we've made our official announcement, yep, yep. Um, we can move into our cocktail for tonight. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Um, so tonight we kind of have a classic cocktail for you, which is the old fashioned. Now this, this one is an old favorite of mine. It's, uh, it's one of those ones. I, my, my first two, uh, alcohols that I learned to like were, you know, rum and whiskey. <laughs> learned to like. And uh, yeah, you have to kind of 
acquire the tastes. Definitely. And, uh, well, there comes a time in every young man's life that if he's going to go <laughs> drink in drinking establishments, he's got to know what to order. I think we've all had that dilemma, you oh, know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's hard when you're first drinking, you're some, this young kid and you're like, um, <laughs> let me order this at this place. Yeah. And then you get it and you hate it, you know? And yeah. you're like, well, I just spent 10 bucks on this drink that is terrible. Yeah, or, you, or you're going to order something you have no idea how it's made. Then they ask you a bunch of questions about it. And, it, and you're like, uh. I, I don't know. Give me a picture. Yeah. And so so the old fashioned, that's an that's an early one that uh, I learned to order it first. And uh, I, I explored it in a couple bars. It's one that while it's a simple drink, uh, it's easy to do it uh, not quite right. <laughs> yes, um, and people are extremely opinionated about this cocktail. Yeah. Some are exceptional purists, and some kind of like to experiment a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the weird thing is, is that almost every recipe I find differs in some little way. Yeah, so what's the recipe we're using tonight? So tonight we are using this. We're doing one sugar cube. We are doing two ounces of rye or bourbon whiskey in general. We're using Maker's Mark, which is a Kentucky bourbon. Um, Easy to find. It's probably in every liquor store. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. Well, not probably not every, but here. (laughs) We actually have it in Utah. It's amazing. Um, uh, Two to three dashes of Angostura bitters. Some people like to do the original ones. Some people like the orange ones or a combo. Up to you. Um, A splash of water and a garnish, which is an orange peel. So basically to make this, because it's it's a little bit of a process. There's a ritual to it. Medium difficulty in the cocktail. Yeah, there there is some preparation involved. Uh (laughs) Yeah, you don't just pour stuff in and stir it and you're good. Basically, so here's here is as you say the ritual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you add your sugar to your glass, usually like an old fashioned glass. That's what they're for. Um, and then you add in the bitters, and then just enough water to kind of wet it down. The water is only there to just help the bitters dissolve the sugar. Kind of open up a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to dis- dissolve the sugar in completely. You don't want to just ever dump the sugar into the complete drink. It needs to be there first. Some recipes say to kind of just coat the glass with the sugar mixture, mm-hmm. sugar and bitters mixture. If you are using a sugar cube, you're going to want to kind of crush it and then muddle it up into the liquid so that it dissolves. A few people um, kind of cut corners a little bit just by using simple syrup, which is essentially it's water and sugar. Sugar and water, yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. An American um, favorite. So, <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, you know, whatever's going to be easiest for you. If you want to do that, if you want to do it the original way, that's that's fun. It is admittedly fun to crush your sugar cube up. Yeah. Yeah. Really. If you've got your your muddling uh, device from your mojitos, this is is a yeah, this is a good opportunity (laughs) to pull out the muddler once again and and really get your your money's worth with your muddler. Yes. Many things um, can be muddled in this world. It, it, you just have to be determined and have the right attitude. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so just kind of experiment with it and see what you like. I mean, at the end of the day, what do you end up with? A whole bunch of whiskey that you've drunk. So, all in all, those are the good kind you're of in experiments. For a great time. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then once you've got your sugar concoction coating your glass. Um, you're going to want to add in a large ice cube or two. 
large is better because they end up melting more slowly. Bonus points nice. if, it, if it's formed into something fun. Yes, like a Death Star. Death Star. There's Always the, cool. Yeah, Yoda makes a very good ice cube <laughs> if you can get the mold for him. Yes. I personally have a skull and crossbones tray of ice cubes. Perfect. Which is fun. <laughs> Probably not great for this drink, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I was going to say it has like holes in it between the bones and stuff. Yeah, it's a so surface area It's going to melt way it's fast. A, yeah. <laughs> But essentially, uh, you put in those ice cubes, then you pour in the whiskey, and mm. you stir. You don't want to overstir, um, and you don't want to understir. Exactly, got, it's perfect a t- amount just to get that sugar incorporated. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna take the orange peel that you've uh, just have used a peeler to peel off the outside of an orange, and you're gonna twist it over your glass so that you can get the oil from the orange into your drink. Um, some people also kind of rub the peel over the rim of the glass, kind of for a little bit of extra flavor if you want, and then just plop it into your drink and then you are done. Yeah. Some people add cherries as well as a garnish. Do not muddle your cherries. No. It's not going to add much to the drink. It's probably going to make it worse. You just so. get chewy cherry mess at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how you make them. That's how we've made them. Yeah. It was fun. And and yeah, what, uh-huh. what, what's nice about it is that it's a, it's a nice dark uh, colored liquor, you know, concoction that, that you can walk around at a cocktail party and it doesn't have, uh, it's not, you know, it's not a strawberry daiquiri is what I mean to say, but it yeah. tastes delicious. People know that you're cool yeah. and it tastes good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a win-win mm-hmm. really. <laughs> Nothing. And it's classic, and it's and like you said, ritualistic, which is fun. It's it's fun to create something that you then imbibe. Yeah, if right, it's it's part of a whole ensemble. If your belt matches your shoes and you're holding an old fashioned, I think you've got them, some things figured out. Definitely, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so everyone's got their drink of choice, eh? And you know, if if a strawberry daiquiri is really your thing, more power to you. Uh, but nothing uh, wrong with fruity drinks. We we've got old fashioned tonight and some stories to share. Yes, we do. <laughs> so we have two tales for you tonight. The reason why is one is a little bit longer than normal, so you should have the same length of an episode. It's not just that much time of us chatting and chatting away. Mm-hmm. Probably. We don't know because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. We'll wait and see. <laughs> we could be here all night. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, but our first story is called The Forest Through the Trees. And it's by Tristan Lintz, who you may have heard their name on our show before because they did our previous story, which was the face game. That was a good one. This is a... It was really good. I liked it. And their their username is discord underscore and underscore dine on Reddit. So if you want to look up additional stories from them. But we'll also include links to both of these stories on our show notes. Too. Perfect. So let's go. All right. It really was an awful time to get a flat tire. On one hand, it was past midnight. I had been coming home from a party thrown by a co-worker that lived on the other side of town. On the other hand, I had decided to take the back roads because I hated driving on the freeway. My own unwillingness to face my fears had brought me there. There weren't even any streetlights nearby. I hadn't even seen one for five minutes when I heard the pop and the release of air. Only the dim moon provided light now. I'm as far away from a mechanic as you can get. I push pencils at an office. The most technical thing I know how to do was open an electrical box. Still, 
I had read about changing a tire somewhere a long time ago. I had a vague inkling of how to do it, but not much more than that. The trees on either side of the road rustled in the breeze. I quickened my pace. I had seen too many horror movies. In my haste, the jack I was removing from my trunk somehow slipped out of my hands and tumbled down the embankment next to the road. Groaning, I carefully went after it, trying to keep one hand on the weeds to help me down. I almost slipped and tumbled a few times, but managed to regain my footing. The slope was about eight feet down. Pulling out my phone, I scanned the flashlight around, looking for the jack. The beam glinted off something lying in the grass. I squinted. It certainly wasn't the jack. That was made out of metal. Bending down, I picked it up and brought the light to it. It was a fish skeleton, and not in pieces either. It looked like something you would see sticking out of a garbage can in an old cartoon. What was this doing on the side of the road? Had someone dumped their trash here and left? I became aware of how silent it was. The breeze had stopped. I looked up, studying the trees carefully. They were moving, to be sure, but they looked off. They waved side to side, so slowly it was almost undetectable. There was something very fluid to their movements, almost as if, beyond the first wall of pines, I noticed a dark shape floating above the trees. It was high off the ground, slipping smoothly between the trunks. They blocked out of my view most of what it was, but I certainly wasn't going to stick around and find out. I turned my back and began frantically combing the grass for the jack. Half of a panicked minute later, my light glinted off of something metal lying in the grass. Scooping it, I whirled around and stopped in my tracks. There, three yards off the ground, peeking out from between two trees, was a golden fish. It looked at least ten feet long and four or five feet wide. Its black, lifeless eyes bore into me. Slipping, I landed on my back in the grass, staring up at the thing dominating the darkness. Then, with one quick flick of its tail, it turned and swam away into the trees again, floating gracefully between the trunks, as if it was underwater. There was a thickness in the air then. It seemed to come out of nowhere, a pressurized, nauseating feeling that wrapped me up in its sickly embrace. I stumbled to my feet and furtively pawed at the grass, trying to get a hold so I could climb back to the embankment and get out of there. Suddenly, a bright light erupted from behind me, casting my shadow out in front. I made one last jump to try to grab a hanging weed near the road, but slipped again and tumbled down the few feet I had climbed. Landing at the bottom, I stared. There was a light floating near the edge of the tree line, bobbing up and down slowly. It was almost blindingly bright. I had to put up my hands in front of my face after a moment of looking at it. Slowly, it began receding into the trees, floating between the trunks much in the same way that the fish had done earlier. I inexplicably found myself getting to my feet and walking toward the tree line, following it. It was as if I didn't have any control of my body anymore. My mind swayed with the feeling in the air, and as I stumbled dreamily forward, passing the first wall and taking my first step inside, I dropped the jack but barely registered that I had done so. The light was about ten feet in front of me and slowly getting farther away. I picked up my pace, graduating from my clumsy stumbling to a jerky amble. From somewhere below me came squelching noises. Looking down, I saw the ground was muddy, staining my shoes and the cuffs of my pants. I paid little heed as I continued on. I saw the golden fish again, floating high above my head. Its scales gleamed in the moonlight that managed to find its way through the canopy. The deeper I got, the more of them appeared. Fish of every imaginable color floating through the air above me, opening and closing their mouths rhythmically. 
The pressure in the air got worse, and the squelching had progressed to frequent splashes. There was no mud below now, only water, about a foot deep. It went up to my ankles. The light continued up ahead, although I was gaining on it. A dark shape stuck up ahead momentarily and caught my attention. A wooden rowboat, covered in algae and moss, was beached on a rock outcropping. The wood looked spongy and old. One of the oars was still bolted to the side, cracked and about to fall apart. I slipped on something and fell to my knees, the water now nearly coming up to my chin when I did so. My clothes were soaked, and the cloud covering my mind had only gotten worse. I could now think of nothing but the light. The light drove me forward, kept me going, even as the water rose past my waist. The fish seemed to be getting closer to the water now. They dipped lower, almost swarming towards the rapidly deepening pool below me before coming back up. They also seemed to be forming some sort of circle, rotating in a loose sphere above me as I slogged forward through the water. Up ahead, the light had ceased moving. It floated above the surface, a beacon in the otherwise lightless sea. I had stopped touching the bottom long ago. I was now furtively swimming towards it, hands outstretched. A sharp pain erupted in the back of my head, and I felt something wet running down my neck. I saw a small flow of crimson drifting through the water. I reached up. There was a small chunk of flesh missing from my scalp. Pulling my hand away, it was stained red. I let it wash away in the water as I looked up. The golden fish was circling above me, a halo of red dripping out from around its mouth. Opening again, it dove down toward me with determination. Crying out, I swam to the right only to feel another sharp pain, this time on my arm. I barely had enough time to see its lifeless black eyes stare into my own before diving back up, taking a piece of my bicep with it. The fish were swarming now, circling above me like vultures watching a dying animal. One after another, they dove down, slipping between the trees like ghosts, only to swim back up with a piece of my flesh and stringy globs of blood. Up ahead, the light suddenly plunged deep into the water. Feeling another bite attack my neck, I saw it illuminate the water as it dove down. Hundreds, no, thousands of picked bodies floated below. Some of them were caught in the branches of submerged trees. Others were tangled in the roots. They were little more than grinning skeletons, bits of cloth and hair still sticking to some of them. Deep in the water below, there was a great rumbling. The fish dove again, a few of them attacking at once. I felt a rushing sensation from down below, and barely had time to swim out of the way before they came up. The massive jaws rushed out of the depths, coming together above the water. The slimy, thick skin of whatever creature lurked below me rose up as the jagged spires of teeth clacked together in one empty bite. It reverberated over the trees, echoing off into the sky above and the water below. With a loud splash like a whale breaching, it disappeared into the darkness below. Something in my mind broke. Turning back, I began swimming quickly in the direction I had come. The fish were much less graceful now, some of them running into the trees as they pursued. Bites rained down on my flesh, leaving gaping holes in their wake. The water behind me was a trail of red, scarlet billowing out as I went. The pressure began to build into an intense headache just as I had felt my foot touch solid ground beneath the water. I tried to cry out in relief but could only manage a hoarse croak. I flailed, splashing water around me in my desperate attempt to push myself forward. The water was just reaching waist level when it slowly began to rise again. Mumbling curses under my breath, I weakly tried to bat away another fish as it bore down. Open wounds covered my upper torso, stinging in the salty water. I felt the bottom leave my feet again, just as I caught sight of my car. Somehow, impossibly, the water was rising 
in a straight line up ahead, as if there was an invisible wall separating the road and the woods beyond. I barely had enough time to gasp in a full breath before I went under. The water was scraping the fish bellies now and rising fast. Propelling myself forward, I swam, ignoring every bite and snap that came from the things above me. At last, I reached the edge of the road. Putting my hands out, my fingers skimmed a wall of water. Something invisible stopped them. I kicked at it with all my might. Through the watery haze that covered my eyes, I could see my car, sitting there pathetically with its flat tire like a wounded animal. My lungs began screaming for air. I beat and kicked against the invisible wall. The tide overtook the treetops and continued rising into the night. I thought wildly about the moon being submerged and almost opened my mouth to laugh. I turned back around. The fish were circling above me, shadowy and grotesque. Suddenly, all at once, they turned and started torpedoing toward me, mouths open and eyes staring blankly. Throwing my hands up, I involuntarily opened my mouth to scream. Water filled my lungs and burned down my throat. I found myself sinking down, down, down past the road and into the spot where the forest floor should have been. The fish continued their speed toward me. I felt myself drifting away, eyes clouding over and becoming misty. Suddenly, from somewhere up above me, a large dark shape came torpedoing out of the gloom. I recognized the spongy skin immediately. The light floated diminutively above it as it bore down on my pursuers, swallowing most of them whole. The ones that escaped the first assault were quickly caught as well. A great rumble erupted from the below. The water bubbled and boiled around me, throwing me this way and that. The bigger fish spiraled back down toward the depths, slipping into the darkness like it had never been there at all. Then there was a sudden bang, and the pressure vanished. I was pulled down the cascading wall of water as it bore down on the road, screaming all the way. I closed my eyes, bracing for impact with the road. I landed roughly, but not painfully, on the asphalt. Still scared to open my eyes, I felt the water flow around me as it descended, settling down on the road and the trees. I opened my eyes. The wind was whistling through the trees again. The moonlight shone down on the dry landscape, completely devoid of moisture of any kind. I ran to the driver's side mirror and inspected myself. Cuts and welts littered my body, dripping down onto the road below. I felt something welling up in my stomach and coughed, expelling a large amount of water. The pressure returned again, and I swayed, eventually collapsing. Before I slipped off, I thought I heard a low, keening wail. Some hours later, I woke up in the same position. The sun was just rising over the tops of the trees. Groaning, I got to my feet. Stumbling against the car, I spotted the jack lying on the side of the road. Almost as if a switch had been flipped, I walked over. Picking it up, I walked back and changed the tire. I got into my car and started the engine. It whined for a moment before turning over. The welts stung and my skin felt dry. Right before I drove off, I looked back toward the trees. There was something moving on the forest floor, just beyond the line. I looked back. It was just the wind picking up some debris and nothing more. It wasn't a fin moving among the leaves. It wasn't. Right? And we're back. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that was a fun journey through the trees, but oh, wow. It really was. So it, was a, it was a really unusual tale. Yeah. I, I really loved the kind of the fantastical element to all of it with the fish up in the trees and then that the bigger creature monster fish 
down below in the water. Oh yeah, like that, the separation that, of the that, two. That just brought back all of our discussion about sharks and the the unknown and the depths below yeah, and in the water. All of the things that I am the most afraid of. Yeah, and that's a very very scary thing. Um, be, because you have somebody on on flat ground that is suddenly existing in three dimensions the story i i had to go back and reread it a couple of times because i was just as confused as the as the protagonist uh when yeah i can imagine how confused i'd be if that was happening to me yeah there's there's fish above them below them there's something else below them uh but really to me it it felt uh, it, it's something you you see in a lot of video games when you have to uh, all the way you know back to the tradition of, of you know Super Mario Brothers the water level for me the great example Earthworm Jim <laughs> if you ever took him through the water level such a scary thing yes <laughs> that's when he goes oh, underwater nostalgia. It's scary. <laughs> I love that I really loved, really, the imagery of the fish. We have that image of them above you in the water and their dead, cold eyes. And everything was described so well in this story. Yeah. Um, I loved that the fish were all different colors and everything. So at first they were like a little bit creepy, but beautiful. And then they got even creepier. But they never stopped being magical. They were really otherworldly. And and that was really a fun thing to incorporate in the story. uh, Mm -hmm. That suddenly this character finds themselves uh, not in in the realm of something else, but in in a completely different place, uh, a little pocket of of otherworldly conditions. I love the description of suddenly things pressurize and the water sucks up above above the normal yeah. water level. So I kind of want to talk about that. Yeah. So my theory with uh-huh. this is that the main character kind of fell into another dimension. Totally possible. That's my thought. Yeah. Right. Because with this pop of pressure and then suddenly this whole other world and then we hit the end where he's up against you know, this wall of water and can't get to his car that's just sitting right there. He has to, to kind of force his way out of it. And and all of that to me is such a, that's a dream state thing. Uh, mm-hmm. that so either he wasn't conscious. Wasn't conscious or in a very dreamlike reality pocket. Yeah, like the one that Bigfoot lives in. Yeah. <laughs> but, but boy, uh, the just the, the description of the fish tearing and then swimming away uh that's oh god that's such no. a that's yeah. such a fish thing to do fish I, are that's, that's you true. know they're they're beautiful but when they eat they're kind of assholes they 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 munch and then they fuck off they <laughs> go they they'll take a bite and then they'll act like they never took a bite uh, uh. it's true and then come back for more and yeah. then leave again yeah but it's so true i have to say it's really funny um when I was listening to you read this story, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have this ex- almost, okay, not this exact situation, but the very beginning of this story where he first sees this golden fish in the forest, mm-hmm. right? I have a shirt that is exactly that image of a person standing in a forest oh. with this golden, it looks like goldfish, I guess, but um, this golden fish up in the trees, and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh. My <laughs> shirt just became a nightmare. Yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> a very this, funny little tie-in. This cool little shirt that I got on Woot that some <laughs> artist made. That It's gorgeous. So I got it. And I'm like, wow. 
this took a whole dark turn. Yeah. And and for me, it, it yes, it was very scary and and foreboding, but it also had such a, a magic element to it. Uh, for me, it, it felt like uh, where the wild things are. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to be in a stage production of, of that story. Oh, cool. I love that book so much. And we had such a brilliant director who was also a visual artist. And uh, he, mm. he the whole sequence when the bedroom turns into a forest and then an ocean tumbles by with a private boat just for Max. Uh, yeah, when you hear the lines recited enough times, you memorize the story. No, no. yeah. <laughs> um, but that I just the that kind of picture book quality of and the world changed and suddenly everything was different. And that's kind of what it had for me. It's a shame it turned out to be so malevolent and scary. I liked the big sea monster. It's not. It's like grown up Max. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's like horse Max sailed right into a horror story. Yeah. yeah. Rather than nice monsters. (laughs) And then Max fought to to get out and go back to their normal life. Now that's a scary story, isn't it? The the fight against the weird to get back to normal. No, thank you. Yeah. No, man. (laughs) Well, I mean, Granted, yeah. presented with this situation. Giant you know, golden so, fish in the trees. I guess it's a little weird. Or something potentially eating me from below. No thanks. Yeah, I guess. That's like one of my deepest fears, you know. Like that that's why I don't like being in water that I can't see what's around me or touch the ground. Mm-hmm. Because of that exact thing. You oh, know? Yeah. I don't know what's down there and I don't want to know mm-hmm. what's down there. What's coming for me. Yeah, I, uh, the, my uh, well, my my dog, and, yeah, my oh, my dog and my, my my last dog, but they had this in common that they're okay with waiting, but as soon as all four feet get off the floor of the water, uh, neither of these dogs, my my poor my current dog uh, Blazer, he's a sweet little poodle, but he's not a swimmer. He he'll, <laughs> he'll go right to the water's edge, but he will not get to where his feet don't touch anymore. No, thank you. Too weird. That's because uh, he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> as any sane person should do yeah he's not a fan uh he, he can swim but he his usual first order of business is to swim straight towards shore or getting out of the water however he can fair i see you blazer i see you yeah i understand <laughs> <laughs> um another thing that i really liked with this was was the light yeah um, kind of willow the wispy or very like angler much fish mm-hmm. you know I really liked that aspect of it, just kind of drawing him deeper in um, I, I def- and him not being able to control his actions and stuff. I definitely felt like it was like an anglerfish. It was this luring, you know, piece that that doesn't say, you know, what is really waiting for you or give any clue of how dangerous it is. Uh, exactly. And I that's that's a secret uh, thing I love in nature is uh feigning weakness to hide strength uh that's something that a lot of animals do and it's a really cool thing uh we talked about the the angler fish or uh there's the the traditional thing of the the possum or or really for me the the great one is the alligator snapping turtle's tongue that uh looks like a little worm a little pink uh, you know, just a, something so delicious on the on the swamp swamp floor, as its giant hooked maw stays open, just waiting to snap shut on any fish that I come by. That. Uh, yeah, so I, I really do like that element, and maybe I'm just drawn to thinking it that way. Maybe this, the, maybe the light's well, part of the fish, or maybe it's a <laughs> maybe it's something else. 
And I just love that you're like, well, here, let me give you an entire list of creatures that do this exact thing. <laughs> and I love it because you're so excited about animals. Um, and so this is this is perfect rumination for you, I think. Yeah. I am curious, though. So so at the end, with the, the big fish kind of... I, it feels like it saves him in a, a way little by bit. eating all the other fish. Yeah. Does it only eat those fish? Like, is he just kind of in the way or is he not? Because so like the skeletons that they talked about right early on, he, he saw that. Yeah. I just feel like this, below. this character just entered a completely alien ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, the, everything in there is not starved to eat them, but like fish, if you drop some food in the water they'll they'll peck at it they'll they'll see what's up yeah and and clearly there's been numerous victims before him right because there's all these skeletons so is it the fish that ate them all and the big one didn't come or is the big one part of it or like what how did this come how did this come curious yeah and i'm i'm wondering if this little pocket of high pressure uh, you know um water and gravity suspension uh travels around i wonder if if, yeah. if it's like if it's just there stationary if, or if, if it's like, like a cryptid on its own that it uh, that the place itself <laughs> yeah it, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh did you see the movie annihilation it was based on the book area x did i ever yeah do i wait what i thought it was based on the book annihilation uh, Area X was the first book in the series, or is Area book? It's a trilogy. Maybe it's the, maybe it's called the Area X trilogy or something. I'm pretty uh, sure the first book is called Annihilation. You could be right. I listened to it long before, well, not long, but before the movie came out. <laughs> anyway, it reminded I've me of that. I've never listened to it or it, read it. It reminded <laughs> me of, the, of that story, and it was really uh, just this idea that uh, that nature is a very connected, a, a, a very connected thing, and it can change. Uh, very quickly and easily. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I started to imagine maybe there was like a scientific element or another dimension. It felt a little bit like Stranger Things for a second. In in the woods, there's the everything seems yeah, normal, so. but if you look closer, you, there's this door to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like, you, well, you put you push into another dimension mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, and for them, it was like the upside down or whatever, but. But that's that's what this feels like. It feels like a pocket dimension, something that he kind of stumbled into and <laughs> was frantically trying to find his way back uh, yeah, out. Yeah, I'm glad this person got out to tell their tale. <laughs> I am too. I have to say that um, when the description of like the scarlet blood just flowing behind him in the water as he's swimming past, I was like... <laughs> If there are sharks in this, I am out. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess like technically sharks are fish and stuff. And these weren't really described as sharks per se. But I was like, "Mm -mm, no, no, no. no, Because I'm so afraid of (laughs) so afraid of sharks. I mean, they are beautiful creatures and I love to learn about them. But I am scared as hell. Yeah, it comes. To and, things that can eat me. Yeah, and this all reminded me of a, a D&D creature. The, that's a, a, a classic D&D creature. Um, the, you stumble upon this creature. What do you do? Yeah, the, the <laughs> boulette. And some people will, will still call it boulet, but it's got uh, two T's at the end and an E. So I, I prefer to, to say boulette. But it's essentially a land shark. It's a quadruped <laughs> the size of a, you know, a big angry rhino. And uh, 
and it swims around and burrows and eats whatever it finds. And uh, that's kind of the feel I got, uh, that just the ease of movement that comes with a creature that is adapted to exist in kind of a three-dimensional environment, and suddenly you're tossed into that world where it can move completely freely and you are still limited by gravity and the way that we get around as humans, uh, it's a huge disadvantage where it's not even close to the same playing field. Oh, for sure. We are a hundred percent out of our element. Yeah. You know, we are, we are a immediately struggling to survive for more than a few minutes below the surface. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they can survive indefinitely, uh, assuming they're moving with some of the species. Not all sharks have to move, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we it's it's a totally foreign environment to us. We we don't belong there and we are immediately at a disadvantage plus all of the creatures that could easily kill us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Not I, to mention the water, but also the creatures. Yeah, I'd be really interested to hear what uh, some of our other friends... I, I do a little bit of scuba diving, but we've got some friends that are way into scuba diving. And just the idea of uh, someone who spends more time underwater, what would they hear in this story? Mm-hmm. And so... Definitely, I'm curious. And it's it's like... Um, I wonder if something like the thrill of that that alien environment has a lot to do with the appeal mm-hmm. of scuba diving. Yeah, we have, we have a specifically one friend who just got her dive master certificate and she's hardcore into it and I love it. And she's always like, sharks are amazing. Stop hating on them. You know? <laughs> and and she's continuously trying to get me to scuba dive. So I'm sure that you should, it's fun with enough pestering. I will end up doing it. I'll, I'm, I'll come I'm to terrified. <laughs> Okay. I've invited myself along on your perfect. Your You're more trip. than welcome. <laughs> but yeah, I, I snorkeled before, and it was really cool. But it, and it was in like a crescent-shaped island, mm-hmm. so I could look behind me and know nothing was there, and look in front of me and know that nothing was there. Oh, so in those specific conditions, Lindsay was exactly. All right. Okay, I was surprisingly fine. I really thought I wasn't gonna be, and I was. Hmm. So. For whatever that's worth, we'll see what happens yeah. in the future. Um, but yeah, so yeah. Uh, I think that was a really good story. We really appreciate you sending that into us. Justin. Yeah, thank you for sharing it. Uh, it's it's a fun one, and it was a fun one to kind of see uh, how you, uh, as a, as a writer, kind of change perspectives and and so the elements you carry forward in, in your storytelling. So nice work. Absolutely, yes. Um, so now we are going to move into our promo for this week. It is for our friends over at Paranonsense Broadcasting Station. So this is Zarek and Rob, and they cover like a variety of paranormal and weird subjects. So like some of the things that they've talked about before have been the Mad Gasser, Roswell, the Black Dahlia, Nostradamus. Um, and they recently started a cryptid showdown series, which might interest you guys. Basically, they take two different cryptids and kind of toss them in a ring and talk about, you know, who will prevail, essentially. Oh, <laughs> now I'm going to have to listen on that. because uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's perfect if you like the show, because obviously you probably have some interesting cryptids. So. We would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but they are loads of fun. We highly recommend them. And we will play their promo for you now. Yeah. 
Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Eric. My name is Rob. And we're the hosts of the Paranonsense Broadcasting Station. A show where we talk about all things paranormal, conspiracy, or nonsense alike. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Paranonsenses. That's P-A-R-A-N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E-S. And we have a Facebook page. And also we have an email, Paranonsenses, at gmail.com. Dot com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify. Our hosting site is Podbean. So tell people to listen. And you will like us. All right, bye. Peace. All right, so give them a listen. Yeah, they sound cool. Yeah. All right, we are headed into our next tale. Um, however, this story is longer than usual for yeah, us. Yeah, we already talked about the length of it, and I mm-hmm. hope you're you're settled in. It's a good story, uh, yes. but there are a couple of things you should know before we, we get rolling with it. Yeah, it deals with some heavy stuff. So we kind of wanted to give a content slash trigger warning. Um, it involves... Attempted rape and death. So if you don't want to listen, that's absolutely fine. We completely understand. Like I said, there is not another story after it. So you can turn the episode off if you'd like. We get it. Yeah. Um, but that being said, it is a really, really good story, like Logan said. So that's why we want to share it with you. The story is called Girls Best Friends. And it is by Caitlin McGlynn. And her username on Reddit is Psyche Morrigan. Yeah. So here we go. My mom runs an animal shelter. I was there all the time as a kid, playing with the dogs and the cats. That's how I first met Boo and, in a way, Ginny. I was playing with the cats when I heard my mother talking to someone. I ran, excited to see, since I knew she was showing people dogs to adopt. Alicia, my mom said brightly, this is the Wheelers. I think you and their little girl Ginny go to school together. She gestured to the family standing behind her. There was a short, stocky man, a woman with light blonde hair, and a little girl with strawberry blonde hair holding the woman's hand. She was staring at the cages where the dogs were. She turned her head to look at me, and I recognized her. She was really shy and kind of weird, always playing alone at recess, never really talking. When Jenny saw me, she looked down at the floor and mumbled, Hi. Hi, I said awkwardly. The Wheelers are going to adopt a dog. Do you want to help them find one? My mom asked me. Sure, I said happily. I might be a little weirded out by Ginny, but I loved seeing dogs and cats getting adopted into loving families. We were walking for a little while. Ginny's parents sometimes would ask about a certain dog, but they never asked to see it more closely. Ginny just looked in the cages, not saying anything, until we got to a certain cage. Ginny suddenly stopped walking. She stared into a cage with an interest she didn't have before. At first, I didn't see what she was looking at. Then I spotted a scrawny black puppy curled up in one of the corners of the cage. The puppy looked at us with fearful eyes. "'What's that dog's name?' she asked softly. "'Oh, that's Boo,' my mom answered. "'We found him in an old house. Poor thing was alone.' My mom, seeing the interest written on Ginny's face, asked, "'Would you like to see him?' Ginny nodded shyly. My mother picked up Boo and brought him over to the rest of us. He really was a weird-looking puppy.' His fur was all black, and his ears were far too big for his head. What I didn't notice until I got close to him was his eyes. They were very light brown, almost orange, and it looked strange when paired with his dark fur. Boo was softly whimpering. Ginny's eyes widened in concern. Is he okay? (laughs) Yeah, I said. He's just nervous. You have to let him get used to you. 
Mom sat Boo on the ground. He continued to whimper, but he didn't try to run away. Ginny slowly crouched down, and I soon followed suit. Why is he named Boo? Ginny's dad asked. There was a character in To Kill a Mockingbird named Boo Radley, who lived in an old house and never came out of it. We thought it'd be cute to name him that, since the puppy seemed to be born in that old house on Wilson Street and never left it. We still don't know what happened to his mother or siblings, my mother replied. Boo had calmed down and was now looking at us, still very cautious of us. Ginny slowly reached out her hand. Boo backed away at first. I was going to call him back when Ginny began talking. It's okay. I won't hurt you. She said it so softly that I almost couldn't hear her. I get scared when I meet new people, too. It's mostly okay in the end. Boo looked up at her, and with some hesitation, came back closer. Ginny gently patted him on the top of his head, her fingers just brushing the top of his head. Boo sniffed her hand and began licking it. Ginny giggled. I think it was the first time I ever heard her laugh. She started really petting him, and Boo seemed to enjoy it. Our parents, who were distracted by their own conversation, heard Ginny's laugh. So, is this the dog you want, Ginny? Mrs. Wheeler asked. Ginny nodded and had the biggest smile on her face. Absolutely. He's perfect. Ever since that day, Ginny and Boo were utterly inseparable. Whenever I went to the local park, I would see Ginny playing with Boo. If she wasn't doing that, she was walking him or even laying down while reading a book, resting her head on his body. It wasn't very hard. My mom had thought he was a German Shepherd mix, and he clearly was. It was also clear his other parent must have been a fairly large dog, considering how big he was. By the time we were in middle school, Boo was taller than most little kids. Boo was a weird dog in general. From what I saw, he was always able to follow any order or direction that Ginny gave him. It didn't really faze me at first. German Shepherds are usually very smart and extremely easy to train. That's why they're so often used as police or military dogs. It's just some of Boo's behavior could be strange. For example, when I was in seventh grade, I went to the park with my friend Jake to hang out. I admit I had a little crush on him. I don't know why, considering what a jerk he could be. While there, we noticed Ginny sitting under a tree while reading a book. Boo was, of course, with her, resting his head on her lap. Geez, guess she's weird out of school, too, Jake said. Yeah, I felt a little bad, but Ginny couldn't hear, and it wasn't like I was going to say it to her face. She's the only person I know who likes to be alone. Well, except for the dog. I looked back at Ginny, and I jumped just a little. Ginny was still engrossed in her book, but Boo was now staring at me and Jake. I thought he was going to look around or rest his head on Ginny's lap again. However, he just kept staring at us. <laughs> Looks like we pissed off the dog. Jake seemed completely at ease under Boo's glare. Maybe if we go over and mess with her, the dog will be the one to tell us off. I was going to roll my eyes when suddenly I heard loud barking. I turned my head back to the tree, and there was Boo, still looking at us, up on his feet, barking with vigor. Ginny seemed surprised by Boo's outburst and was trying to calm him down. Boo continued to bark, his eyes never once straying from us. Ginny eventually just led Boo away from the park. Jake and I were a bit perplexed by this, but didn't think much of it. However, for the next two years, whenever Jake or I would see Boo, he would glare at us assuming dogs are capable of that, and would bark if either of us approached Ginny. Me and Ginny weren't really friends. Ginny wasn't really friends with anyone. No one was ever mean to her, to her face at least, but she seemed to be more at ease and talkative when interacting with teachers than with other students. 
Maybe that's why a teacher agreed to drive her home after she got a nasty sprain while in gym class. We lived in a very small town, and Ginny's house was so close to the high school that she could walk to it. After a call to her mother, the teacher said she would gladly drive Ginny home. The teacher needed someone to walk Ginny out of the school while she got her keys. I volunteered to do so. I want to say I did it because my mom always taught me to help people out, but I would be lying if I said cutting class wasn't an incentive to help her. I let her lean on me as I brought her out of the school and near the parking lot. Ginny then sat down on a bench, wincing a bit as she pressed a bit on her injured ankle. As with the rest of the walk before, we waited in awkward silence. That was pretty common with Ginny. Why can't your parents pick you up? I was so desperate to end the silence that I blurted that out. I immediately regretted it because it sounded so rude. Ginny looked like she was surprised I talked to her. Then she looked down, avoiding eye contact. This was also very common for Ginny. My mom and dad both work during the day. Ginny mumbled. They work a lot in general, not that I mind or anything. She added that part quickly as if she was embarrassed. The awkward silence dragged on for a couple more seconds. I considered just telling Ginny I was going back to class and leaving. The teacher was going to come back any minute now anyway. Ginny wouldn't care. She clearly was as uncomfortable with this as I was. Before I could speak, though, I heard barking. To my shock, Boo bounded down the parking lot, tail wagging. Ginny's entire face lit up. Boo! Boo came up to Ginny. Ginny happily petted him. She seemed so much more alive than she had been. She giggled as Boo licked her face. It reminded me of the day that Ginny and Boo first met. An old question sprung up in my mind. Wait, how... Why... I was baffled at how Boo was able to find the high school, never mind how he knew Ginny was in this exact area, at this exact time. Ginny was very relaxed about the situation, and almost seemed amused at my confession. Boo always knows when I need help, and he always comes to me. Although he shouldn't have come here, you could have gotten hurt on the way here. She said that last part to Boo, in a tone that one might use for young children. Boo barked, still more happy to be with his owner than heeding anything she might say. Boo then turned briefly to give me one of his now signature weirdly cold looks. He went back to comforting his owner. I saw an opportunity to finally ask a question I'd been dying to ask. Um, Ginny? Could I ask you something? I was hesitant to ask, but this question had been nagging me for years at this point. Why did you choose Boo? Ginny looked a bit surprised, but she seemed much more at ease than before. She looked down at Boo. Well, you know how he was curled up by the wall when we first saw him? Boo looked small and fragile and scared. I guess I felt bad for him. Then your mom said they found him all alone. Ginny stroked Boo's head, her eyes downcast. I realized why he was acting like that. He was lonely, and he didn't know if he would ever stop feeling that way. Her eyes flickered away to the right. I guess I knew what that could feel like. So I thought maybe we could cure each other's loneliness. A soft smile formed on her face, looking at her dog with pure joy. It worked. Boo barked happily in seeming agreement with her. I was floored. I always thought Ginny liked being alone. I never would have thought that her isolation wasn't self-imposed, or at least something that she disliked. She looked like anyone else when she was playing with Boo. You need to go home now, Boo, Ginny said to him. I promise I'll be fine until then. Boo looked like he wanted to stay, but he dutifully started leaving. I wanted to talk to Ginny before Boo left and she returned to being so quiet. Hey, Ginny, I'm, um... I'm having a pool party on Saturday. Do you want to come to it? If your ankle is healed, I mean. I said quickly. Ginny's mouth opened in shock. 
Really? You want me to come? Yeah, sure. We've known each other since elementary school, after all. A huge smile formed on Ginny's face. Thank you. I'll come for sure. I smiled. It felt nice to make someone else feel so happy. Then I noticed Boo was still there. He was looking at me, but his stare lacked the normal intensity it had. Boo looked almost like he was studying me. Ginny noticed me staring at him and turned to him. Boo, you have to go! She made a movement with her arm, shooing him away. Boo somewhat reluctantly left. A few seconds later, the teacher came and drove Ginny home. After that, me and Ginny became friends. Not close or anything, but it was still something. Ginny was a good friend. It's just sometimes I can't help but think if Ginny and I never became friends, maybe what happened that day wouldn't have occurred. The year after Ginny and I became friends, I was taking my little brother trick-or-treating. Jake came with us because he had nothing better to do. My crush on him had waned over the years, but I still remained friends with him regardless. Big mistake. We got to Ginny's house. Ginny was sitting on the lawn chair with Boo by her side. She was dressed in a long blue skirt and had a flower in her hair. Boo had a novelty shark costume on. Ginny happily gave my brother some candy. I told him he could go over next door while I talked to Ginny. Ginny smiled when she saw me, and Boo even started wagging his tail. Ever since the day Ginny and I became friends, Boo has been far more friendly to me. I gave Boo a pat on the head. Wow, Boo the shark is on the loose, Ginny chuckled. Yeah, my dad found it at PetSmart. I dressed up like a mermaid to match, but I don't think I did a very good job. I think you look great, said Jake. Ginny and I both turned to him in surprise. Even after Ginny became my friend, he continued to maintain his Ginny is a weirdo stance. Boo stopped wagging his tail and began looking at Jake with a stern stare. Just as Jake had never changed his opinion of Ginny, Boo had never changed how he acted around Jake. You know, me and Alicia are going to a party later at Mallory's place. You can come if you want. Jake was acting way too nice. This should have set off alarm bells, but I was just happy he was being nice to Ginny. I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm not good at parties. Ginny looked down. It'll be fun, I promise, I said. Ginny never really went out much, so I was trying to help her. Ginny put her hand on Boo's head as if it helped her build courage. Okay, I'll ask my parents if I can go. They said yes. They shouldn't have. Mallory's party was going great. Everyone was having fun. Ginny came a bit later than everyone else. She stayed close to me and didn't really talk to anyone else. She was just starting to open up a little when Jake showed up, two drinks in his hand. He handed one to me and one to Ginny. Ginny wrinkled her nose when she took a sip of her drink. I didn't drink mine at first. We all started to go to Mallory's backyard and hear a local band made up of kids from our school. I figured Ginny was behind me. I was talking to some of my other friends when I took a sip out of my drink. I immediately spit it out. I thought it was apple cider, but upon tasting it, I realized it was another drink they were serving at the party. Beer. I also remembered that Ginny had been given a cup of this also. I knew she never drank beer before, so she might not even know she was drinking it. I frantically scanned the yard for her, but couldn't see her anywhere. My blood ran cold when I realized I couldn't see Jake anywhere either. My friends tried to ask me what was wrong. I was already running toward the door. I entered the house and made my way to the living room, where I at last saw Ginny. I was about to call out Ginny's name when I heard two voices arguing with each other. Let me go, a feminine voice said. It was clearly Ginny's voice. She might have been trying to yell, but her words were slurred and she sounded disoriented. Come on, it'll be fun, a male responded. It was definitely Jake. I ran into the living room to see Ginny and Jake standing near the top of the stairs. Jake was holding Ginny's wrist. Ginny was swaying a bit. She looked down and called out, Alicia! 
Go away, Alicia. It's, it's not a big deal. From the tone of his voice, I think Jake was a little drunk, too. Let go of her. I began climbing the stairs, eventually getting to the top. Jake had backed up quite a bit. He was still holding Ginny's wrist. Boo. I, I want boo, Ginny slurred. I began to wonder if he actually put anything in that drink he gave Ginny. Will you shut up, he said to Ginny. Jake then turned to me. Come on, Al. I was just going to make the freak do some embarrassing stuff and post it online. It's going to be funny. No, it won't, I said. Let her go. Jake was about to respond when noises started coming from the front door. It sounded like scratching on the door. Then loud barking and growling. What the hell? Jake asked. I almost had to agree with him. Boo! Ginny happily yelled. I started towards them. The barking only got louder. Jake saw what I was doing. I guess he started to get angry at us for ruining his fun. Fine. Take the freak. Jake then shoved Ginny toward me. He shoved her so hard that she flew right past me and into the wall. She was right by the stairs. Ginny tried to regain her balance, but she was drunk and scared, and it, it all happened so fast. Too fast. Ginny slipped and fell down the stairs. Within seconds, she was lying at the foot of the stairs. She was completely motionless. Ginny! I yelled. I quickly made my way down the stairs. Right as I reached her, the front door busted open. Boo came charging at Ginny's body. He started frantically licking her, then nudging her head. Boo tried everything to get Ginny to stir, but she didn't move at all. After a while, Boo began whimpering before letting out the most mournful howl I had ever heard. I went closer, hoping against hope that Ginny was just unconscious. I saw that her neck was bent at an unnatural angle. Then I saw her eyes. Oh God, those eyes. Until the day I die, I will always remember her eyes. They were half-lidded, like Ginny was tired or sad. But the eyes themselves told the truth. They were completely devoid of any kind of light, just staring into nothingness. The rest of the night was a blur. I remember the police coming. They had to pull Boo off Ginny's body because he wouldn't leave her. I do remember Jake pulling me aside and begging me not to tell anyone what really led to Ginny's death. It was a mistake, he said, then began blackmailing me. Do you really want other people to know you brought her here? That got me. My parents were already going to be so disappointed I was at a party with alcohol. I couldn't take the looks people would give me if they knew I was involved. Besides, I didn't want Ginny's parents to know just how frightened she had been in her last moments. So, I just said Ginny just slipped on her own. They might find alcohol in her system if they did an autopsy, but they probably weren't going to have one. And if they did, everyone would just think she tried it on her own. I was bad the first few days. I wouldn't leave my room. My parents thought it was just grief, but it was more the intense guilt I was feeling. It also was the image of Ginny's dead body in my mind. I would see it every time I closed my eyes. This only got worse after Ginny's funeral. My parents told me I didn't have to go to it. I didn't feel the same way. I felt I at least owed Ginny that. I was doing surprisingly well at the funeral, all things considered. This all changed when I saw Ginny in the casket. She had a pretty dress. With her eyes closed, Ginny almost looked like she was sleeping. But as soon as I saw her, I flashed back to the terrible sight of her body laying on the ground. Her empty eyes. I ran out of the funeral home. I desperately tried to catch my breath. The chilly fall air filled my lungs. After calming down, I felt like someone was watching me. I looked around and saw him. Boo, sitting across the street. 
His light brown eyes bore into me. I began to back away. Boo started to growl. I was about to go back inside when I heard the door open. I turned to see Ginny's mother peek her head out. Alicia, uh, what are you doing out here? She asked. I was, uh, getting some fresh air. It sounded so stupid I almost cringed. Mrs. Wheeler's expression softened. I understand. I know, you and Ginny weren't that close, but but she really does appreciate your friendship. Uh, did appreciate your friendship. Just being near her was filling me with such an intense sense of anxiety. Now I had to see her grief firsthand. I betrayed Ginny in death. I was still doing it now. Lying by omission to her mother. At her funeral, no less. It made me want to throw up. I quickly tried to change the subject to something, anything else. I saw Boo just now. He must have gotten out. Again, I immediately realized what a mistake I had made. Boo was Ginny's shadow. Of course, Ginny was going to be brought up again. For all I knew, her parents brought Boo here to let him say goodbye or something. Mrs. Wheeler began frantically looking around when I said that. Where? Um, he's over there. I turned to point to where I saw Boo. He had seemingly vanished into thin air. Huh, where'd he go? Oh no. Mrs. Wheeler looked devastated. Boo ran off the night Ginny... She couldn't bear to say it. I'm sorry, I said awkwardly. I just didn't know what else to say without spilling everything out. That dog meant the world to Ginny, Mrs. Wheeler said quietly. He was at least a living part of her. I could hear her voice shake. Now that's gone too. It was obvious she was about to break down. I should have comforted her or got someone or, or something. I just ran away like the coward I was. I ran all the way back to my house. My parents were right. I shouldn't have gone. I eventually went back to school. The school had a moment of silence for Ginny. The atmosphere around the school felt somber for the first few days. Everything went back to normal. Except for the empty desks Ginny would use in each class. I started skipping classes that I used to have with Ginny just so I didn't have to see them. The desks weren't the only reminder I had to avoid in school. Jake constantly tried to talk to me. I ignored him every single time. Just looking at him made me feel sick. Deep down, I knew I couldn't outrun the consequences of that night forever. It finally came crashing down a few weeks later. It was early December by then. I stayed up late after school to assist in planning a Christmas charity event. I jumped at any chance to do stuff like that. I thought doing good things for other people might ease my guilt a bit. I was the last one out and I was going to drive home. Need a ride, Al? I heard a familiar voice call. I looked over to see Jake leaning against his car. He was twirling his keys in his hand. I knew exactly what he was going to offer. I began walking, pointedly ignoring him. I was about to get to my own car when Jake drove his car in front of me and stopped. Jake popped his head out of his window and said, We need to talk. Now. We have nothing to talk about. Actually, we do. He roughly grabbed my wrist. I could deal with the silent treatment, but that damn dog is too much. What? That caught my attention. Oh, don't play dumb with me, Jake sneered. Ginny's freaky-ass dog keeps coming to my street. Every damn night I look out my window to see that dog staring at me. I don't know how you or whoever else you told trained him to do that, but I'm sick of it. I didn't train him to do any of that. I've barely seen him since Ginny's funeral, I protested. Jake's grip on my wrist became so tight I yelped from pain. Jake bared his teeth. Do you expect me to buy that? Jake suddenly stopped his tirade. He was staring over my shoulder. I turned my head to see what it was. 
sitting in the parking lot, was Boo. Boo was sitting about 20 feet from us. He was under one of the street lamps. In the light, he looked more like a shadow that had rose up from the ground than a dog. Call him off, Jake said through gritted teeth. I told you, I don't have anything to do with this, I yelled. I managed to free my wrist from Jake's grasp. We need to call Ginny's parents. They've been looking for him. Jake was about to say something when Boo started growling. Boo slowly got up and was now stalking toward us. Get away, you stupid mutt, Jake shouted. Boo's growling turned into an even louder snarling. I could now see his eyes. The lights in the parking lot reflected off his eyes. I don't know if it was a trick of the light or not, but I could have sworn his eyes looked more red than brown. There was an anger in his eyes, too. I had seen dogs angry before, but this was different. There was an intelligence and a malice there that normal dogs lacked. All that wrath was now aimed at Jake and me. Jake cursed and swiftly got into his car. Boo started running towards the car. In a panic, I got into Jake's car. Jake was fumbling with his keys when he noticed I was there. He began to fumble with his words as well. No, no, no. Get out. Get out now. He was cut off when Boo suddenly lunged at Jake's side of the car. Jake forgot his protests and quickly drove his car out of the parking lot as fast as possible. I was trying to catch my breath. Within a minute, I could hear the loud barking again. I was in shock. Boo couldn't possibly run fast enough to be that close to us. Yet there he was. I was wide-eyed when I looked out the window. Boo was fairly far away, but just the fact he had already caught up with us was nearly impossible. Not only that, but he was still keeping pace with us as well. How the hell is it doing that? Jake yelled. I don't know. Wait, I, I got an idea. Jake made a sharp turn. The road we were on had walls of trees on both sides. Combined with the sharp twists and turns on it led to many car crashes in the past. I could see why Jake thought that would make Boo lose sight of us. Even I had thought it might work for a second. Those hopes were quickly dashed when I heard Boo's booming bark once again. This time, it was even louder. Jake yelled, What's with this f-? He stopped talking the second he looked in the rearview mirror. Jake's face turned white. What. The. Fuck. He whispered in disbelief. I looked in the rearview mirror and couldn't believe what I saw. Boo was getting bigger. His bones seemed to be growing first poking almost through his skin before the rest of his body caught up. His eyes changed into a rich blood red. His irises expanding until his entire eye was red. His mouth was open, and I could see his growing teeth. The teeth got sharper, and drool was dripping from his now huge maw. His gaze never left the car. I realized with horror that he was almost at the car. I couldn't do anything but scream. Jake drove the car even faster. He just cursed loudly over and over again. Still terrified, I yelled, Go faster! Will you shut up? He yelled back. The panic in his voice had reached a fever pitch. This is all your fault! If you never talked to that fucking freak, this never would have happened! Suddenly, pieces of glass and metal were thrown onto us from behind. I turned back immediately and saw Boo's massive maw within inches of my face. Jake screamed. The mouth was about to bite us. I turned to face front so I wouldn't have to see it, only to realize we were on a turn and were about to hit a tree, which we did. I blacked out when we made impact. I don't know how long I was out for, but when I awoke, my vision was blurry from blood dripping into my eyes. On instinct, I wiped it away. I soon became aware of the intense pain I was in. My legs were pinned by the dashboard. Help! I yelled. I looked around to see if anyone heard my cries. 
I almost wish I didn't look. For one thing, I could now tell the car had been flipped onto its side, possibly because Jake tried to turn too late. The worst part was what I could see through the cracked windshield. I spotted Jake's body. I could only see his back, but I could see he was not moving. Even worse, I could see the blood staining his clothes and the grass near him. I could just tell he was gone. After I processed what I saw, I began to cry. I had known both Ginny and Jake since elementary school, and now I had seen both their corpses. I heard shuffling outside the window. Boo's feet came into view. It appeared he was no longer in that huge, demonic form he took on before. It didn't matter, though. I knew what was coming next. I also knew this was my last chance to make peace with him and myself. I'm sorry. I, sh I should have said what happened to Ginny. I was a coward. A sob tore through the back of my throat. I should have been a better friend to her. Everything was going black. I was sure I was going to die. I fell into unconsciousness, and I thought I would never wake up again. I remember being awoken by the feeling of something or someone pulling me. I opened my eyes to find myself on the ground next to the car. The blue and red lights of an ambulance covered the area around. Right before the paramedics got to me, I saw the faint silhouettes of Boo and a person. A girl in a long skirt. I had to stay in the hospital for a couple weeks. I still go to physical therapy every week. I came clean about what really happened to Ginny. People were angry at me. More for speaking ill of the now-dead Jake. He was horrifically mangled by the crash, or by Boo. I never told anyone about what I thought I saw that night he died. People wouldn't have believed me anyway. I did feel bad about how he died, but the truth needed to come out. I'm just sad someone else had to die before I had the courage to come forward. Ginny's parents never found Boo. My mom told me they had recently adopted another dog. In Ginny's memory, they apparently said. I'm glad. I think Ginny would have liked that. As for me, I'm trying to move on with my life. Sometimes, when I'm walking by the park... I think I see a girl with strawberry blonde hair playing with a large black dog just out of the corner of my eye. Whenever I try to get a good look, though, they always disappear. Yeah, so let's let's start to unpack that. That was there yes. was a lot to that. A lot to unpack for sure. Yeah, I really for one, I, I'd like to start with some of the comments that were on the original Reddit thread. There were some that said, "Oh, that was a whole roller coaster of emotions. That should have been a and movie." I think that's and absolutely true. Yeah, really. That, that it was a really complete story that followed this whole journey uh, and really built these characters to be pretty real people. Mm -hmm. um, well, and I like that you're left, as you should be, with, with the feeling of that Ginny's avenged, really. Yeah, you and know, that's... As dark uh, as everything is, <laughs> um, and so much death, but, you know, puppers are our friends. Yeah. We love them, <laughs> and they take care of us. We don't deserve them. <laughs> yeah. Um, clearly, Boo is not... A regular pepper. No, but no. but he's a good boy. He's, <laughs> he's a very good boy. <laughs> and and I really like. I, I guess the first thing to touch on would really be how amazing animals are for emotional support. Oh yeah, you know the way that Ginny just immediately latched right on to Boo mm -hmm. and and used him as you know an emotional support animal. Like she was able to be talkative and less shy and less lonely whenever he was around. And it's that's value I've seen in many different people that I know. They have their own animals and that connection that you have with something that loves you unconditionally and would do anything for you. Yeah. is amazing. You know, you're immediately you feel loved, you feel safe, you feel 
stronger you feel braver yeah just for having a companion <laughs> for me specifically it's a it's a dog but i know that for anybody out there there's there's a companion or an animal that mm-hmm. matches your lifestyle and what you really need but really just the idea of, of having somebody who thinks you are really cool and really whatever you're doing that's the cool thing to do and mm-hmm. dogs a plus animals um hellhounds kind of rough uh but clearly he had the same qualities too i mean yeah he he was right there for her all the time and fiercely protective clearly Mm -hmm. um so they're pretty cool i and i think uh our first indication kind of 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 boo being a little bit smarter and a little bit more intuitive than majority of dogs with him first like latching on to the main character and Jake kind of talking about Ginny yeah. in the park way, way early on in the story. He, he picks up on that immediately and then knows right from there that, you know, Jake's a bad, bad. Yes. Yeah. He's bad news bears. <laughs> very much so. Um, and I know the dogs in general, they really are very good at, at picking up on body language and on, I guess maybe people's general vibes. You know, they can tell if somebody is a dick and someone you should stay away from. If your dog hates someone, there's probably a good reason. (laughs) So maybe trust them. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Just an idea. (laughs) But also understand that sometimes dogs can be like people and be a little anxious and, you know, frightened of new things. Uh, So I've got my my poodle, Blazer. He's a very, very fine animal. The best dog I've ever (laughs) known. Uh, But... His adopted brother, Rudy, belongs to my father. And Rudy has barked at me every time he's ever seen me. And that's just who Rudy is as a dog. He's, it's his, <laughs> he, he identifies as a barking dog, and I respect that. <laughs> so he's, he's a chatterbox, and Blazer isn't. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so yes, dogs, uh, and, and that's a huge, huge part of the of the story, but also there's the element of, I do think we do need to touch on the content in this story that, Mm -hmm. um, yes, it brings out a visceral reaction out of, out of the the listener, the reader. It's it's really hard hard to, to listen to, to, to to kind of, you know, you want to, it's, it's like a a horror story. You want to yell at the the screen. You want to say, no, get out of there. This is, this is not where Mm -hmm. you need to be. Don't do that. Um, and I'm and I'm really glad that the main character was there and like consistently saying, you know, no, stop it. This isn't okay, which is what anyone should do in that situation. Yeah. Maybe more more so, obviously, and you know, definitely tell the truth after yeah. the fact. That's a big deal. But I'm I'm glad that it didn't go as far as it could have in that regard, except for the fact that, you know, she ended up dying no so that's still really rough but it is something that i think we do need to talk about it's it's something that happens far far more often than you can imagine i mean the statistics are yeah it's staggering i I mean i get that that's not really the kind of podcast we are but we're also not the kind of podcast that ignores things that people are legitimately afraid of and things that are really part of the world right now Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we uh, we tend to kind of end up talking about more often than 
yeah. probably most normal <laughs> people do because we have a, a very good friend of ours who is getting her doctorate in, in gender and sexuality and she's specifically dealing with sexual violence in her dissertation. So it is something we end up discussing with her a lot and it's it's really interesting and it's it's very saddening and, and horrifying. Um, yeah. But it needs to be talked about because if stuff isn't out there and we don't talk about it, it becomes like the, the stigma just continues and and the situations will end up happening. Yeah, and really, let's look at these uh, the two characters. I know they're fictional, but the situation kind of arose because they were not as educated as they could have been about what happens, uh, you know, warning signs of behavior. I hate to say it, but securing your way out and knowing who your friends are a little better. Uh, that's yeah. part, part were, of the world. <laughs> they're teenagers, right? So there's, yeah. there's very little that they have been in this you know, a party with alcohol before that's, that's a new thing to these characters. And obviously that's the thing that she was the most afraid of, of coming out was that she was at a party with alcohol and everything. But, you know, had she sat down with her parents and had they talked about the situation, maybe that's a thing that she would have been like, all right, I know what is okay. And I know what's not okay. And this is not okay kind of weighing her options better instead of of taking kind of the cowardly way out and saving her own ass over you know getting a guy being prosecuted essentially mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, so and and really it's it's that feeling of isolation kind of the the other side of the coin um so Ginny was a character that was isolated kind of by her own nature or by circumstance um and found companionship in in boo uh, mm-hmm. the, the main character by when they went from being kind of popular to more isolated, their situation got m- so much worse. Um, and I do think that that is something that can be kind of looked at in this story. This is the note of isolation and how having someone else to be a sounding board for ideas or someone to, uh, to mm-hmm. understand, or even uh, an animal that you feel understands you and just <laughs> uh, that really kind of helps to avoid bad decisions from being made, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, she she clearly, she trusted the main character. Mm-hmm. And she, by extension, trusted Jake when he extends this invitation with mm-hmm. clearly bad intentions, right? But that element of, of naivete and trust being completely betrayed by someone who just takes advantage of someone else, you know? Yeah, and the, unfortunately. The strong preying yeah. on the weak or the innocent and it's it's awful and it happens far too often so i'm glad that this this story does explore it as hard as it is to listen to i am glad that it that that we've talked about it a little bit and i think that it's just a really difficult thing to approach you know it happens too often and it's awful always basically mm-hmm. and maybe that's that's why i mean Maybe that's not the only reason that, that we look into folklore, but maybe that's something that people get out of out of our show is a break from it a little bit. Uh, just to Yeah, fantastical <laughs> instead of, of tragic reality. <laughs> I would so much rather go up against, you know, a, a you know, challenge rating twenty black dragon than <laughs> an angry boss, that kind of thing. And uh, and sometimes uh, you know just some stuff fi- is too real yeah finding a little bit of escape in these stories is is not a bad thing because mm-hmm. you know the, with the real world that's eh, not all great yeah 
And I guess in <laughs> our escape here really is, you know, Boo turning into a giant, essentially hellhound, you know, mm-hmm. enacting vengeance upon upon his master's murderer, really. So I I think that's great. We've talked about that. I don't I don't want to go too much further in. We're happy to have discussions with you guys if you want to talk about it with us online. That's fantastic. Send us an email or find us on Twitter or something, and we're happy to chat about it with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit now about Boo specifically. So he he's named after Boo Radley, right? Yeah. From the famous famous work To Kill a Mockingbird, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful beautiful book. A beautiful movie, a beautiful play, you know, that we've, we've, many of us have seen some times, adaptation right? of or <laughs> all of way. them, uh, whether you've just absorbed it to, through just being around it. And, but. Whether you've watched it 8,000 times because Gregory Peck was a hottie, let's be real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, yeah, he's just so good. Um, but Big Radley is probably one of the best. I think literary characters out there, right? He's this beautiful beacon of pure goodness and and so- someone that's flourished with his goodness despite all of the dark cruelty and isolation that has happened to him, mm-hmm. really. Um he's he's this force of good that that is initially kind of creepy or scary to someone um, in this instance in the book, you know, to Scout and Jen, the kids that are, are the main characters. And he's, he's scary to them, but he starts doing nice little things to them. And I think if we compare that to Boo the dog in the story, he's weird at first in the shelter and he's creepy to everybody else. And he's a little, he's a little frightening. He's a little scary to some people, but he is fiercely protective. He helps out with um, with Ginny and her loneliness and being able to cope with that. And I think that that having him be this character, which I'm sure is the author's intention, um, it, I think I think it's a perfect analogy. You know, he's he's that scary thing that is goodness and protection. And that's exactly what Boo Radley is yeah. as well. You that, know, he that, ends up saving Scout and Jam at the end. Mm-hmm. That it's not part of the appearance of uh, being threatening or helpful. It's it's about actions. And mm-hmm. I I do think that you're you're onto something with that. And I and I often thought while while reading the story or thinking back on it that um, if the story had been a little different, if characters had been friendly to Ginny, if she had had more friends or something like that, what would Boo's behavior have been? Uh, we saw a lot of examples of his behavior towards uh, characters that act negatively towards Ginny. Uh, how does he really, does he ever really warm up to anybody but but Ginny? Does he like yeah. to see her flourish? Uh, does he... He seemed to tolerate the main character once, once yeah. he kind of identified that she wasn't really a threat, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, I, I don't know. But really, anybody who's what, owned an animal he, knows that they, that's what they do. They have to warm up to you for a little bit and mm-hmm, see that true. that you're part of the pack and that you you're not gonna steal the food and run. <laughs> well, question. I mean, like, would he even have been in Ginny's life had she been a different type of person? Either I agree. I don't think she would have been drawn to it. Uh, yeah, so, she wouldn't have picked him out. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of a, a thing 
to talk about there too, you know, people finding each other in ways when when they need to. Yeah. In situations that they need to. And I really, really liked the imagery at the end, kind of where she she sees a, a girl in a flower dress, which is gotta be Jenny, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and I really love that that she's still with the pup, you know, um, like uh, I, I wonder if if kind of getting back at Jake was like her unfinished business or something. Yeah. As, as a ghost of some sort. Yeah. Like he's, he, he seems uh, earlier, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the Patronus that they had and in, uh, in Harry Potter, the mm-hmm. protective animal spirit that kind of Her Patronus <laughs> is a hellhound. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like there was definitely a bond made there. And part of this supernatural creatures, you know, skill set mm-hmm. is this supernatural bond. I'm thinking now too, like it, this just occurred to me, but like, um, with uh, black dogs in, in supernatural mm-hmm. lore, I guess, there, there's many different kinds of black black dogs, like uh, the bar guest or black shuck. A lot of them come from the, like the UK area, but they're usually portents of something to come, something bad is coming, or some protects others. So there, there's a lot of imagery that goes right along with that, too. You know, uh, black dogs specifically are very, very much present in supernatural lore. And a pretty solid Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's that, there's the, there's a lot of symbolism to the, the canine uh, all the way back to, you know, Neanderthals and wolves that uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's 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 a bit of a jump to, to to go into werewolf history, but as soon as you do, there's a lot of stuff out there on werewolves. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, <laughs> and it's when we're in direct competition with something, it becomes an antagonist in our world uh, as humans. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and that's why you get these kind of were creatures or myths uh, from different parts of the world that uh, have a kind of similar idea. Um, when you have the same ecological niche. Uh, that's your monster right there. And for us, a social scavenger hunter, that was the wolf. And, well, it, it's, we're on the same level, and we weren't quite sure what to think of each other for several thousand years. Now we're friends, but <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stories out there of, of monster dogs and scary things that are old, old memories. Um, I don't think that we're going to do specifically <laughs> werewolves in the future, but we could... There's definitely the potential for doing something like the the Beast of Gaby Dawn or something like that. That'll be cool. Specific werewolf rather than yeah, because because really we could werewolves as a whole. That's a long episode. You could do an entire podcast on just werewolves of the world, and there probably (laughs) is one somewhere. (laughs) But um. So sorry, go ahead. Oh no, just it's kind of a closer on this one. I just it draws me back to. While the story was about, you know, this hellhound monster character, um, if you if you want to know what I pictured when the dog deformed, look up Peter Puppy again from Earthworm Jim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was. Yeah, he's a small defenseless puppy that turns into this giant red hulking psycho beast. Excellent. Uh, I love it. But uh, really, I don't feel like the title was ironic. I feel like it is. He, he definitely was girl's best friend. Yeah, yeah. I don't for feel. Sure. I don't feel like uh, Boo was the antagonist of this story. Boo 
was no, he was, was the, the monster, he was, but not he was the knight. Yeah, the knight in shining armor. Yeah, for you, her, really. You, you want the monster on your side. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, how did how did you feel about um, Jake's death? Um, he got what was coming. Um, I tried to. Yeah. Every time I read him, he, I tried to not make him like the comical version of toxic masculinity, where it's no. just this caricature. He was just, he was just I know, a giant fucking asshole. Yeah, because I know some dudes was. are like that. I know yeah, that that's definitely. really like that profile is a very real thing. That's a type of dude that's out there. Yeah. There's a profile for a reason because they exist. Yeah, and uh, but at the same time, I I liked that there was a little bit of window into. The, the author took some the time to write out that he panicked and didn't think and was uh he kind of lost his shit in there and that was yeah like a reaction a real person would have to yeah that, that and, kind of situation and when you get a you know kind of these these tough guys that you know claim they're all alpha and everything but really put them in a situation where you have to you know think through a plan and execute it and other people's safety is you know something you're responsible for those kind of guys, they really often panic. Not every single one. I mean, it's not just men. I know that, but just specifically when talking, training yeah, when, and experience can definitely make these things change entirely. And he's, a and, and he's a teenager really too. dumb teenage kid. Yeah. That's, know? that's the other thing to remember really. Yes. I know his actions were, you know, reprehensible in this and story. There's no excuse for them, but really I feel like they were actions more out of, again, ignorance than malice. I think he was a young kid, and if his parents had told him, okay, this is how you really treat people. Here's how you get people to genuinely like you. Here's how mm-hmm. um, here's how you watch out for people, and here's what alcohol and other things here's really, really do to is. people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, Yes, yeah, he's the villain. Yeah, he died. You know, in the yeah. same way Gaston died, and... It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it served and you want, the story um, <laughs> exactly. And you you want to be like, okay, I feel bad that I'm happy that this kid got, you know, what was coming to him, which was kind yeah. of an eye for an eye thing, right? Um, but we we also don't know that that's necessarily what what Boo intended. He crashed the car, really. Yeah. You know, he's the one that crashed <laughs> it into a tree. He was being attacked, granted, but that that's just what happened, you know? So who knows if it was an accident, but regardless, I mean, it felt very karmic, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a story, so you can kind of push yourself out a little bit further and, and feel less, uh, I guess, bad that, that somebody is dead. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, but the other part of these... are dead, I guess, but... Yeah, but the other story, the other part of these stories is death is uh, not a permanent state. It's a... <laughs> fictional character <laughs> yes we're, we're talking we're talking ghosts and ghoulies and spooky things here on folklore on the rocks so well, and clearly jenny was a ghost you yeah know? so jake got in a head-on collision he was an asshole in life but there's a possibility the sequel of the story he's this this <laughs> avenging ghost that seeks out to stop date rapes wherever they may occur to I right all of his wrongs <laughs> yeah that's his that's his penance i don't I feel know good about that i like that yeah <laughs> The lost I'll be sequel. fine with this happening. <laughs> I'll just imagine that this is how this continued on. Yeah, and I, like I, that. I don't know really if there is a redemption story for for Jake if he had survived. This is a he's he's a shitty dude and did some shitty things. No, uh, and he may have continued to do shitty things because he clearly didn't. You know, he didn't get. 
the main character didn't come clean until after he was dead. Yeah. And I do think it was hard to read. Yeah. And I, I I feel pretty good kind of closing it on that note that really that's the big, the big problem in this. If, if the character had just, the, the main character had just really felt comfortable speaking up and really saying this is wrong this is not what needs mm-hmm. to happen she's my friend i'm going to get us both out of here whether in the moment or after the fact that is always the right choice you know absolutely um, and i think it's it's a good way to imagine yourself like it's hard to know what you do in any type of situation that that is anywhere near like this kind of thing yeah it's hard to know right but i think it's a good reminder to kind of just cement it into your brain to not be that person yeah, yeah, really the the people who stand on the sidelines well, we all know what happens. <laughs> it's uh, you yeah. can make up any any simile metaphor or idiom for it, but it's don't be that person is what we mean to say. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you listen to like true crime podcasts and stuff of so many things, so many bad things could have been prevented or stopped. Yeah, we know we know you. We know you wander <laughs> off to those true crime podcasts. I do all the time. I love them. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, talking it, to the listeners, but you too. Oh, Lindsay. you guys, I'm sure. <laughs> true crime is such a huge chunk of the podcasting world for that exact reason, you know? And I hope that it's teaching us all to not be the person that that doesn't say anything and then the, there's a cold case for 30 years that doesn't get solved until DNA profiling gets into the limelight you know like don't be the person speak up if yeah something that's the solution bad what? or something wrong happens yeah it's not tell it's, somebody. it's not new <laughs> crime solving things it's not where you know webs of information across continents yeah that all helps but preventative measures like education and treating people with respect and really and reporting stuff the social contract of, of let's make things better for everybody and let's try to you know just all get through the day yeah basically don't be a dick and don't be a coward be excellent to each other (laughs) be excellent to each other absolutely (laughs) okay i feel that that we are yeah going to step down from our soapboxes now yeah thanks for hanging out for (laughs) with us for that uh it's it's a difficult thing to talk about and uh here's here's something that we can kind of um i think transition yeah so let's place boo in our alignment system okay um i do think that boo has a malevolence to him that is part of his breeding um now i don't think he was ever raised that way or anything like that but uh not evil i wouldn't say not evil i think he has a leaning toward evil in much the same way that definitely chaotic yeah uh i don't even know if chaotic i think he's to him He's got he's very reacting. specific laws. He's got, he's got, okay. um, maybe like a lawful neutral then. Cause I think he could be an unstoppable killing machine if he was truly chaotic. I think you'd see dead animals around the neighborhood. You'd see the mailman dismembered. Mm-hmm. Um, he's but, definitely true neutral then. Yeah. He's not going to react unless something provokes him and then he will react as he needs to react. I feel like with most with most dogs and well I, it's safe may maybe safe to assume with hellhounds as well they <laughs> adopt the same alignment as their person 
That's they, fair. No, that makes if, a lot of sense. If they find themselves in a situation where they are a, a companion, um, they watch that person for cues. And if that person is kind and generous and positive and has a good attitude toward the, the animal as well as to other people, well, then the animal's going to be fine. If it's not, well, then you get different kind of animal. I, yeah, I think true neutral would probably be a good spot. Yeah, because I feel like that's him. that's what Ginny was. I feel... She was probably, well, she was neutral good, mostly because she never really got to be really, really old where her actions affected others. So it's hard to put her on the the lawful chaos scale. Yeah, we just don't know enough about yeah, her. Yeah, she's quite young. She probably didn't know enough about herself anyway. Like, But she, she was so neutral good, and I feel like her neutral good kind of counterbalanced the neutral evil that is the default start point for a hellhound. And <laughs> for most of the story, yeah, Boo is true neutral. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Okay, so um, that's gonna be it for us tonight. Yeah, so good bunch of stories. I know, you know, not the whole handful smorgasbord, just these were two nice big whoppers for you, but I hope you enjoyed them. Yeah, I hope you did too. Um, And as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Folklore on the Rocks. You can find us on Twitter at Folklore <laughs> and Twitter Twitter really is the place that we basically hang out the most, really. So, you know, tweet at us. We'll probably see it. If we don't, just DM us. Yeah, there. slide into my DMs. <laughs> exactly. But uh, we also have, as always, pictures, notes, sources on FolkloreOnTheRocks.com, our site. Um, and if you want links to these stories, if you want to know more about the people that wrote them, definitely check out the show notes because that will be there. Um, and uh, just a reminder, we are still doing free stickers. If you write us a review and send in a screenshot. You know, us. you you know, you want a sticker. You know, you want. one. They're really cool. They're vinyl. So they'll stick anywhere. They're just basically our logo, a square that's our logo. It's super cool. Um, and they come in a fancy little envelope with a wax stamp. So you know you want that. Mm-hmm. And getting mail is great. Let's be real. It's, <laughs> it's a lost art. It's, yeah, it's like a present. And finally, something that's not from Amazon Prime. Exactly. Or bills. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I get in the mail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Um, regardless uh even if you don't want stickers please just leave us a review or rate us on itunes we would really appreciate it um again if we do if we do get 100 reviews we're going to do that bonus episode uh with a listener selected creature we'll do some sort of poll for that um or take suggestions or something like that and just kind of tell your friends word of mouth is fantastic way to get our podcast known i guess yeah. It's, it's the best marketing for us. So, um, but yeah, that's all for us. So, thank you for listening and just tune in next Sunday. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. <laughs>